Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. I'm the host of this little podcast where I talk to super cool entertainers, actors, directors, comedians. And in this case, uh, this week's episode features an actor and a director. Uh, My guest this week is the amazingly talented Don Cheadle. As if I have to tell you about about Don Cheadle, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Oscar nominee for Hotel Rwanda. Um, Of course, part of the Marvel saga playing War Machine in the Marvel film soon to be seen in Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, He's the producer and star of the Oscar-winning film Crash, and he is now a feature film director. He is directed for the small screen on House of Lies, of course, his Showtime show that he also stars in, but this is his first feature. Miles Ahead is about to open, and uh, it's, it's a real labor of love. This is a great conversation with Don to talk about a project that's super personal to him. It is about, of course, the legendary uh, Miles Davis, a character, a real person that Don plays in the film, um, and, and something he's been trying to get off the ground for years, as I reference in the conversation. This is one of those projects that you always heard about, and you knew he was developing. And I would always, whenever I would see him at a film festival or something, I'd always ask, how's the Miles Davis movie? And you could, you know, you could sense that he was just itching to get it to the finish line. And um, this is a very frank conversation, I think, for for creative types that 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 are trying to get past the hurdle to get something to uh, to come to fruition. Because um, I think it's really heartening to hear someone even at the top of the field like Don Cheadle. Um, be honest about the struggles, the uh, struggles of uh, getting enough money, of of knowing how to direct yourself in something like this, of of being dissatisfied with an edit, all the way up to being disfa- not even dissatisfied with the film, but being unable to watch the film. It's a it's a a real uh, I think unique peek into kind of the insecurities we all have, um, especially artists have in, in assessing their own work. So. Um, Don is is a super smart guy, a super funny guy. Um, we had a lot of laughs amid the um, the profound artistic conversation. And stay tuned t- towards the end for a um, a fun little shout out to um, our friend Ben Schwartz, previous guest on Happy, Sad, Confused. A very revealing fact about Ben Schwartz, uh, the House of Lies co star of uh, Don Cheadle, that is revealed by Mr. Cheadle himself. Um, I'm not going to say much more except to say uh, check out Miles Ahead, uh, enjoy his performance, and Ewan McGregor and a great cast in a, a very worthy biopic that's really not a biopic at all. Uh, you'll understand it when you hear the conversation. Uh, but for now, let's just give it up for Mr. Don Cheadle. Enjoy this conversation. Let's do it. This is very exciting. Uh, why, look, Don Cheadle's in my fake office. Boom, look at that. We did it. Um, uh, yes, this is not, usually you'd be subjected to my silly um, movie posters and paraphernalia, but I'm squatting here in the, in the interest of uh, grabbing you on a very busy day. Beautiful. It's good to see you, man. Thank and you. Uh, congratulations on this one. This is, I know this is a, a labor of love. I feel like I've talked to you like at, at festivals and stuff in the last few years and like always like, when's the Miles Davis movie? When's the Miles Davis yeah, movie? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. It exists. Yeah, it actually is on celluloid and it's uh, on digital media and yeah, we're here. We need to get the good word out because it's a, it's a fine piece of work and I know it's, uh, you know, something like this is not, they're not throwing money at you to make something like this. You're chasing after it. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling just in terms of like where your head's at now? Is it kind of relief? Is it excitement? Is it, what's the emotion? Yeah, there's a, there's a little of all of that, you know, there was, um, as you said, we've been hustling, you know, for a long time to try to put this together and, you know, needing to find those, uh, irrational investors who, uh, would see this as something that, you know, they believed, was a, a good bet. 
So uh, we've been getting a lot of really good responses. We've been all the festivals. We went to Berlin and just got back from South by and uh, we're in Sundance and Pan African Film Festival and everybody, you know, seems to be getting it and um, uh, understanding what it is that we were attempting to do with this a little different than, you know, some other quote unquote biopics out there. Right. Which I mean, and I, you know, I've definitely debated this with fellow, you know, film geeks over the years about like whether biopics generally work. And I, and I, I would argue that like that cradle to grave thing is pretty, pretty damn tough. And generally doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it mostly doesn't work because you're just sitting there feeling like you're watching the cliff notes. Right. Of, <laughs> I'm ready for my book report, yeah, but was yeah. it a good movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're ready for the down note when, oh, and now he falls to the yeah. scourge of women and drugs. Yeah. And then there's some, you know, resurgence and he yeah. reaches the pinnacle again. You know, it's, you kind of know the way that song goes. So, uh, you know, that was one of the, earliest things that I'd said to the family when they uh, wanted me to do this is that I did not want to do that. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad that they uh, got on board and, and, and were of the same creative mindset that, you know, Miles was of, and they went, yeah, let's do it different. For something like this, are you more eager to get responses from people that like know Miles Davis backwards and forwards or those that are just sort of casual or those that like don't even know who the hell he is? I mean, I, I, I would imagine it's all kind of interesting. In yeah, a way. It, it is all. I mean, I think that had uh, the movie been something that the family was against, uh, had you know, they felt like there had been some disservice done to his legacy. That would have been uh, a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, and I asked them all during this process as we were putting it together because you know, look, there there is definitely uh, probably uh, from anyone who would want to have a story told about their uncle, their father, their grandfather, their sister, whatever, um, a, a desire to have there be a quote unquote positive spin right. on their life, uh, right. somehow be a love letter, you know? Yeah. Um, but I always checked in with them and I said, look, I, I, I want to do a movie that I feel like your father, your uncle would have wanted to star in yeah. rather than yeah. a movie that is rise to his level of cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to his level of creativity yeah. and to his, his chase of, of different, yep. you know, his pursuit of the next thing, not the last thing. Yeah. So if we're going to do that, then I think we have to do something that's impressionistic and wild and, and crazy and, and gangster and just totally. feels like it's, it's an experience of Miles Davis as opposed to all the boxes checked well, off. And one could imagine, again, I'm by no means, I mean, an expert, you are, but like even just from watching your film and getting a sense of the man, like, he probably would hate a cradle to grave kind of like standard issue biopic. He would like yeah, he's want on to record. burn the celluloid. And he on record has said that about some of them that had come out, you know? Yeah. You know, like if you ever do mine, don't do that. And I would just say that to them. I'm like, look, these are his words. Right. <laughs> you know, this, these were his sentiments. And I, I think that, you know, if you are telling me that you think that he would have wanted that, then that's another discussion. Right. But if you think he wants something more like what I'm trying to do, which is, is, feels like a composition, Yeah, I feel, as opposed to just a, like we said, the cliff notes, then tell me that. And they would always go, nah, I think he wants 
that. I think he wants it wild. I mean, it's a, yeah, it is always obviously tough when you have, I mean, you have family members and you obviously want to honor their memories and stuff. I mean, I know like, you know, I'm even following like another kind of biopic that's been on and off for years, like the Freddie Mercury thing they've been trying to mm-hmm. do for years. Mm-hmm. It's like they want to kind of like do a PG version of Freddie Mercury. How do you do that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's not and Freddie we've Mercury. we've seen those PG versions of those guys in biopics where you're like that no yeah no that's not what i liked about him that's not what i wanted to really see yeah and and i don't i i feel like you're i feel like that's a craven attempt to get as many butts in the seats as right. possible as opposed to going look this is the dude this is kind of what was up with him yeah. and i you have to trust or have faith that y- you have enough of a sense of what is uh, uh entertaining for lack of a better word yeah. or at least uh, engaging that there are others like you out there who will have the same perspective and want to come see it. Maybe it's not universal, and, and that's why you're not doing it at a major studio. You know, that's right. why you're doing it in a in a way that allows you to uh, have creative control at the end of the day. But uh, you know, you have to try to 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 just stay true to the thing that gave you the cool feeling about it, sure. and then hope that that translates. Do, do you feel like I mean, having been in the business uh, a bit now, and like seeing sort of like the evolving landscape of financing and studios and the kind of stuff they greenlight, was part of you like as you're trying to mount this, be like, oh man, if I had, if I'd come around like 10, 15 years earlier, studios were making more, they were taking risks on this kind of thing more, and in this environment now, this is it's yeah. a tough sell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it may have been they would have at least argued that it was a tough sell then, just to try yeah. to get you to get your number down, yeah, exactly, and back <laughs> into some number that they felt more comfortable with. But, you know, when we first got set up in, in 2008, we did have more of that kind of relationship. This was at HBO, right. I mean, in 2006, rather. This was a, a HBO, and they had a, a theatrical release uh, deal with Picture House, and then the world broke. Right. And all of that went away, and all the mini majors folded up their tents, and uh, Picture House went away. And so we were kind of back to square one and rebooted it with another writer, Stephen Bagelman and myself, and we uh, knew it was going to be this kind of a battle, you know. And yeah. we went from being somewhere around twenty million to, can you do it for seventeen? Right. With someone who then was like, yeah, I'm not interested. Can you do it for fifteen? With someone who was like, that's cool. No, I'm not into it, <laughs> you know. And we understood that it was going to be uh, a process of both getting it to a number yeah. uh, that was um, economical and then coming up with the different ways to do it and places to do it, you know, places with rebate like Cincinnati, sure. um, certain casting imperatives. And ultimately, you know, I had to crowdfund for it as well. Yeah. So all of these things you have to cobble together in this environment to, to get these movies made sometimes. I'm fascinated by how forthright you were on, on just like the toughness of, of making the movie and the ups and downs. I heard you talking about this elsewhere, but if you'll indulge me, you, f- you finish shooting the movie, you get in the edit room, and it's not a happy day, to say the least. Oh, no. Because um, this is what we call the assembly cut, the first assembly, Yeah, right? the first assembly. I mean, I, I, I kind of didn't want to get out of bed after, after I saw it. Because it's not dissimilar, I think, to the, to the experience that a lot of directors sure. have. Uh, as I've you know talked to a lot of them, they're like, oh, you could look at it after a week? I couldn't look at it for a month. <laughs> you know? it's like, oh, I never looked. I just had my editor do it. And I came in at the very end. You know, people have all these different, because you're so exposed. You know, there's really nowhere to hide for me in in watching this film. Right. And and no one to kind of put any responsibility on other than myself if it doesn't work. Yeah. So when I'm watching it, you know, all I can see 
are the things that we were not able to accomplish in my mind. Still to this day, the finish cut right now? I don't, I don't watch it. I haven't yeah. watched it for a long time. I thought, you know, we, were, we just had a screening in, in Berlin, a uh, beautiful 1,700-seat theater, uh, very acoustically um, appropriate for the movie, and the, everything was going to be great. And it was such a, a warm reception when I came in, and I was standing in the back of the theater so that I could make sure the level was right. And I kind of said, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to watch the movie. I haven't watched it for a long sure, time. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. <laughs> Hold my hands, guys. <laughs> and some moment happened, and the audience didn't react in the way I thought they were going to or should have. And I got a knot in my stomach and turned around and walked out of the theater. <laughs> you know, it was like it Who's was... that guy muttering to himself in the back? Yeah. Oh, that's the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who just cursed and kicked the wall. You know, and it's, that's, that's what it is. You know, it's like, it's, but it's not for me to, yeah. to enjoy or to whatever it was for me to get out and then get out of the way and let it do what it's supposed to do i mean i'm sure i'm sure you had a great deal of respect for the amazing directors you've worked with to varying degrees over the years but do you have a different appreciation a different vantage point on the art of directing on what they go through having gone through this are you going to look at directors are you already looking at directors in a different way than before the experience well you know i hope to have uh, an experience of just being a director at some point right um even on the show i'm Almost in every scene that I'm directing, yeah. I'm always in these things that I'm I'm I'm, I'm helming. Um, so I don't know what that pure just director relationship is. Maybe there's more sleep. Maybe there's less sleep. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, having to make every decision uh, about everything, yeah, um, and really having to be the final arbiter on what is you know going to appear on screen yeah it's a lot of responsibility and yeah i I understand why uh they go through what they go through um and it's and it's and it's very challenging too when you're when you're in the thing and this is something george Clooney and i were talking about you know he was saying don't short shrift yourself right i've heard that yeah 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 because you're you're going your instinct is going to be just move on and yeah let that person have a bunch of takes and then you do it twice and then move on he's like no you got to protect your performance as well and 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 push away that feeling of i'm being selfish it's like well no you have to be selfish to some certain degree to protect that you know you're the lead in the movie yeah we're telling we're we're experiencing it through you (laughs) it's kind of a major yeah when you also need i would think you need someone on that set that you can because you're you're you've got a thousand things in your head that you can be like is that working you need everyone on that set to do that you know and and i think the best directors that i've worked with and what i tried to do on my set is empower those people to do that right to speak up you know it it takes a second because i think people don't believe you and they're waiting for you to bite their heads off and sometimes maybe you do bite their heads off a little bit yeah but at the end of the day i think what was clear is that it was best answer wins yeah and it was uh an environment where again not dissimilar to how miles put his bands together that i you're that you're in that seat for a reason right you know i hired you because you have a certain skill set and talents that i i need you to bring to bear on this process and I'm not going to hire a DP and then tell him where he needs to put his lights. Right. You know, I'm gonna, <laughs> actually, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a say of and course. I will be obviously the final yeah. say about how that works, but y- you've got, you know, 40 years in the game or whatever, yeah. Roberto Schaefer, you, you know what you're doing. And I want you to respond and react to the piece as you understand it. The biggest thing is making sure that everyone knows 
what they're trying to accomplish. Well, and they're making the same film. We're all exactly right? <laughs> making the same movie. And that's that is a that's one of the biggest jobs I think of of directing is 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 casting quote unquote the right people around you as well as the people in front of the camera to to help you achieve it w without naming names or feel free to name names like being on the sets of films like do you ever have a sense of like oh i'm i'm in a different movie than my director wants to make yeah that's happened yeah and what do you do happened. well uh <laughs> do you make your movie do you uh, do you well if you really feel like you because i i believe and even in my film you know i wrote Dave Braden, but Ewan's playing him. Right. And when Ewan goes, I don't know that this works for Dave Braden, I have to listen to Ewan. Yeah. Because that's his granular, singular focus, is yeah. his character. And when I've been on sets where I'm playing a, a character a certain way, or I've understood the role to be a certain way, I don't care who's writing it anymore. That was something that happened on this page. Now we're live human beings, yep. you know, totally living different. this out. Yep. I am a sentient. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a robot. I'm not the non-geo robot they are. Yeah, yeah. I you know how you imagined it. Now it's real here. Yeah. And this is what I feel like works. And the best directors not only allow that, but they're asking for it. Yeah. They want you to be in there. They know that you fleshing that out is, is, is necessary. And they're not super precious with their words or what their idea was that they had in their living room when they were at their computer. But yeah. now they've got a person in front of them. So... Those are the lessons that I've tried to take from all of the best people that I've worked with. Have you worked with the type and do you respond to the type of like, I'm always fascinated. I know a lot of film fans are of like the, of the Kubrick and the Fincher thing of like the guys that do like the 80 takes and they, and they are, I mean, they're geniuses. They yeah. obviously are. Yeah. Not, no one can quibble with that, right. but like they have a vision and like right. you and, and, and actors kind of, I mean, yeah, are more, you've, you've, they're, they're the pawns. They're, they're the living prop right? a little bit. You're there to execute this painting this moving portrait that I have in right. my head. And I guess those are the exceptions to the rule, but I mean, like, I'm just thinking out loud here, but like when they, if someone is of that expertise, I guess in that situation, you're like, okay, I'm willing, I may be more willing to be that. Well, pawn. I think you have to know what movie you're in too. Like yeah. we talked about, you know, people knowing what the movie that they're shooting. I think that's the explicit and implicit understanding when you're working with someone like that. Yeah. That I am there to flesh out their vision. Now, within those parameters, you're still trying to find the place that you can be alive and creative and not be an automaton. Yeah. Because that's who wants to see that. They even don't want to see that. Yeah. They just want you to be an automaton within, <laughs> or a live person within these very strict parameters. Right, right, right. You know. So, um, I know we're jumping around a lot, but uh, since we have some time, uh, let's go back a little bit. So, uh, growing up, big movie fan, yeah. what were you geeking out on? What was, your, what was your jam? What were you into? Oh, man, I loved all different kinds of movies, you know? Uh, all different kinds of movies, from Sounder to <laughs> yeah. Gallipoli sure. to... Breaker Morant, um, one of my favorite movies of all time, speaking of Kubrick, is, you know, uh, Dr. Strangelove. And it's something that I, you know, I see kind of once a year and watch it with my kids. It's their favorite movie. You it's amazing. Know? So I, my, my tastes kind of go all over the place. What, what, was, was that unique to you and your family or was it something in your family that like everybody kind of appreciated that kind of thing? Were you the anomaly? Were you the weirdo or were you kind of like, no, of no, I, you know, my, I wouldn't say that my parents were film buffs, but they, they loved good movies, you know, yeah. uh, but shit, who doesn't love a good movie? Everybody loves good movies. Yeah. But you know, for my dad, he really loved movies like Jason and the Argonauts sure. and, um, Ray Harry, Harry has and stuff. And yeah. All that stuff. And, uh, you know, was really like had us first in line when Star Wars came out and nice. Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws. He loved those big, you know, blockbuster movies. Yeah. And uh, 
he kind of got me into all of that, the sci-fi stuff. So, so when did you have a sense of not only were you interested in the stuff, but that you might be good at it? Because that's a, two oh, different questions, that I guess. Yet? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what you, that's the question. Do you feel that yet? I mean, I, I think it's a very neurotic for the most people that I bump into, you know, uh, most actors or, or performers to have that, that strong uh, self-doubt. We just talked about you barely being able to watch your own movie. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's real. It's, it's just, and it's not unique to you. You're right. I mean, no, I, I, mean no. yeah. I think most people and people go, really, you feel that way? And I go, here's a, here's a small example of it. You know, when you can call in and check your messages, but you have to hear your voicemail first. Right. Say, who listens to everyone goes and quickly clicks that nailed off. it did <laughs> yeah. it again josh yeah. yeah nobody wants to hear their own voice you know back on their own voice right. message so multiply that times a movie times 40 feet long and 25 feet tall you know it's like it's a lot it's a lot of you to have to take back right um so and we often feel like we're just barely hanging on to these characters that we're trying to 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 embody yeah. and you always are at some cross purposes with am i getting it am i am i there wherever this nebulous cuz there there's no is. perfection there's no ever like oh i i got it and the next the rest of the shoot will be perfect cuz i've keyed into it you know you might like feel like you're getting getting yeah, it but you haven't gotten it no it's fleeting it's a moving target and sometimes you feel like you're in it and sometimes you don't and you're always trying to scramble back to, to get to that and get get the noise out of your head and well, stop third eyeing yourself and and it must fuck your with your brain too door. in that like there's that then there's the level of like oh I, I nailed it on the set and then when you get in the theater like oh my perception of what happened on set and what actually the celluloid drew in was yeah, totally different. I, I very rarely feel like, oh, I've nailed it. I yeah. mean, I very rarely feel like that. And I don't know a lot of people that do feel like that, you know? Don't trust those guys. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> and we know who they are. And they're like, you're terrible. You know? <laughs> like, Have you see an actor great, walking like, off a set saying like, crushed it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're finished. Um, <laughs> no, you haven't crushed it. I mean, yeah. it's like one of my favorite stories is, a story about Olivier uh, being in Richard III and just killing one of these performances and his friends going backstage to see him and he's destroying his room and throwing a huge tantrum and a fit. And his friend said, that was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. What's, wh what is wrong with you? And he said, I don't know what I did. Wow. You know, <laughs> That's like, amazing. <laughs> I'll never be able to replicate it, you okay. know, and you don't get to be in it right. and third eye it. You know, you right. can either be outside of the thing and kind of be watching yourself and, and uh, judging yourself, or you can kind of be in it and be lost and you don't know, you don't know what's yeah. happening. You come out and people are giving you a look and you're like, what, what just happened? <laughs> you know? Someone clue me in here. Yeah. I was and, in it, so I don't know. And again, it's fleeting. Yeah. It's just moments. You don't, if, if, you, if you were that person all the time, then you have a psychological disorder. If you ever forget <laughs> who you are, then we're talking about something else. Yes. <laughs> um, does it feel like, like since Devil in Blue Dress was, I think for most people, I mean, you had been doing TV, but in terms of film, that was a breakthrough, obviously, at least it's seemingly on paper. Yeah. Does it yeah. feel like it's been a, a, since then, a level of comfort, a straight, you know, arc up? Or does it feel like you've 
you've there's been struggle in the intermittent years always yeah i mean we just where like, we started we should, off talking ca- about, we, should, we should have a, a couch for this conversation i feel badly i'm but like i mean this this is our therapy right this yeah. is what we get to do we get to go out there as performers and embody different people and work every sort of emotion out that yeah. we can in front of people and that's probably why it's nervous making because if you're really truthfully tapping into that stuff you're exposing stuff about yourself yeah yes maybe i have the uh the um protection of uh, the character in some ways to be my shield, but I'm not tapping into anybody else's emotions. I'm not tapping into Josh to right. figure out how Don feels <laughs> when he's, you know, exposed and embarrassed or, or ashamed or any of that. I'm using my own stuff. Yeah, of course. To, to do that with. And that, if you're being honest with it and truthful and really letting it show, that stuff is, you know, it's, it it's, makes you very vulnerable and, 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 and it can make you kind of guarded and not want to expose be, yourself yeah, and yeah. yeah and that's the struggle you're always trying to figure out how much and and what do i owe it and what do i owe me and yeah. how do i put the pieces back together after i've thrown all that stuff out there it's just <laughs> you know it's a trippy thing if you take it seriously it's not just about you know let me be out there and try to sign autographs speaking of signing autographs um i'm curious because you know i just had like sebastian stan actually was on the podcast last week um talking to like all, all the guys that have gone through the marvel machine and the, these g- ginormous movies they don't get any bigger i mean for you like it, it's i would think it was different it means something different in your career for instance than what it meant to like hemsworth and evans and like they, i mean this like made their careers it's turned them into what they you know mm-hmm. stars you, you were you know you had a great career mm-hmm. and you still have a great career I mean, do you feel like in substantive terms, this has the last few movies, the opportunity to be in these Marvel films has changed your career? Or has it just been kind of a fun thing and a a nice group to be with? Well, it may have, and I don't know how we quantify it, but it may have broadened it. It may have introduced me to another kind of an audience, definitely a younger audience that wasn't, you know, aware of me other than maybe Hotel for Dogs or (laughs) something like that. Um, So in that way, it has. And and I I imagine there is a certain amount of of prestige, potentially, um, from being in movies that are like this. There's a global awareness that may have been, you know, broadened by by those uh, by those movies. But yeah, they're it's all work. Do You know what I mean? It's all different types of ways to express ourselves and and do this thing that when we were seven or eight years old was just playing around and making a gun with your fingers and jumping around and having fun and playing make-believe you know i love that the word acting is 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 playing in almost every other language right because that's what it is it's it's really just we're 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 grown-ups but we're still that seven or eight year old kid going ah you got me (laughs) you missed me you know we're still doing that did, did you and, um, obviously, it's, you know, took over the mantle in, in kind of a complicated story with, you know, Terrence uh, obviously got a chance to do it the first time around. Did you have to sort stuff out with, with Terrence? Is that awkward between you guys at this point if you run into him? No, no. I see Terrence at, you know, once a blue moon at these things at an event or an award show or whatever. And we're 100. And we were from, from the beginning because, you know, I, I was one of the producers that cast him in Crash. You know? Of course. And, and yeah, yeah. I've... We, we, he knew that this was not me moving him out of a job. Right. He was not going to be hired for the sequel. Right. And it was a vacant job. Yeah. And uh, they came to me and I said, yes. In fact, I saw him the next day <laughs> on, at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at Warner Brothers. Yeah. 
And he was there for a meeting. I was there for a meeting. And I literally pulled up behind his car. And he got out of the car. And I kind of looked at him. And he kind of looked at me. I'm like, what's up, man? Like, <laughs> what's up, man? I was like, yeah, this is a trip. He's like, definitely. And I'm like, we're straight, though, right? He's like, oh, no, we're straight. It's not. It's not about you. It's, it's him. Bigger, you know, it's weird things. about him and yeah. Marvel. It's yeah. not about me and him. It was absolutely, you know. Had, had you ever been up for a, a, for a superhero kind of thing before then? Or was this kind of like a total different thing than Well, you'd... I had been up for that prior to oh, Terrence. Okay. You know, I, I met on the thing very early, too. Yeah. And <clears throat> some of the producers wanted me. Some of the producers wanted Terrence. And they went Terrence's way. So Got it. I, yeah, I was in that room very, very early as well. Did... um. So, so uh, bouncing around a bit back into the career, I want to bring up some like these are, might seem like seemingly random roles that maybe you've talked about le- talked about less in interviews like this. But I'm just curious because there are films that I that I really dig and would just love to get your uh, I don't know, first things that come to mind. For instance, a film that I haven't seen in years, but I but I, I really appreciated it at the time was Colors, mm. which was directed by Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience on that? How did that come to be? Oh, it was crazy, it- you know, because I was I was in with the gangbangers. I was like for real with the gangbangers. So <laughs> in my set, the the guy that was, you know, one of the dudes that was in in, in my gang was a real gangbanger. And a, the guy that they had actually, in kind of a messed up way, arrested him early and told him, get all your friends in this movie or we're going to throw you in jail on this humble that we have, some outstanding warrant. We're going to, wow. we can either let the warrant go or you can be in a movie. Bring, your <laughs> bring your friends movie, to the movie. Or you can go to jail. And so it's a little fucked up, yeah. It was way fucked up. <laughs> so like he went and got the rest of the set to be in the movie and so it was, you know, I was with all these crips and I remember um early in like one of the scene in, in one of the scenes the you know, Rocket's first scene in that drive by scene where um we're getting ready to roll on this dude and I tell everybody in the back of the car, like, you know, hey, shut the fuck up before we go do this thing. It was like two in the morning, everybody's punch drunk, we're tired, whatever. So you know, we're Action, we're doing it. They're talking. I'm like, shut the fuck up. And then we cut, and, and J Bone, the dude's name, is like, man, you sound like a little punk. Shut the fuck up. You sound like a bitch, nigga. Shut the fuck up. Man. And so then I got a little salty. I was like, no, for real, though, shut the fuck up. And he was like, what? I'll kill you right now. Oh, and he just went into like, I'll blow the back of your head off right now. I don't give a fuck about this movie. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to get killed on the set of a movie for saying a line that I have to say. So then, you know, action. I don't say, I don't say anything. Cut. No alternate? Nothing. No, you all right, Don? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm character fine. choice. I'm just maybe, oh. maybe you wouldn't say that. Go back. They set it up again. j was like, I dare you to say it. I dare you. Say it again. I dare you. It's like, oh, my God. So anyway, we, that was kind of a trial by fire. And by the end of it, you know, he wanted to jump me into the Crip gang. I was like, no, I'm good. But, okay. <laughs> so that was a, yeah, that was a very early movie. And that was a funny movie, too, because three or four of my friends are in that movie. Yeah. We all came down. We all had gone to CalArts together. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of moved into L.A. together and lived with each other and, every, you know, shared money and right. kind of all just at the hangs shack together and... Uh, my friend went in and got an audition first and he came out and he said, hey, you got to see my friend. And I came in, I was like, hold on, wait, you got to see my other friend. And I came brought him in. <laughs> so all four, Dennis Hopper ended up hiring four of us you know, to be in the movie. And it was great because we all ate good that two weeks or whatever. <laughs> um, Devil in a Blue Dress, do you, do you have like, you must have some special affection for that looking back and what it did for your career. I mean, I know, oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard you again talk about this and it wasn't necessarily 
you or Carl like weren't meshing it. It wasn't like we were going to do this. I mean, you knew Carl, but it wasn't yeah. necessarily the thing you were going to do. No, I had known Carl because uh, he, when he was at AFI, I did his thesis right. movie. Um, but I, I think he had had cemented in his head that I was that 19 year old, you know, there was, that's sure. who I was. Yeah. And so when this movie came up and I didn't see myself actually in it either, it was my agent at that time that was saying, no, this is you, you were mouse and you got to do this. And I was like, well, Carl knows me personally. If he wants me to do this part, I'm sure he knows how to get right. in touch with me. Um, and we were all at a, an ear, nose and throat. I was at an ear, nose and throat doctor Okay. and the lobby, uh, just got super crowded. This guy got backed up and it was kind of comical. There are like 30 people in this office and I'm kind of crammed behind the door and the door comes flying open and hits me in the leg and in walks Carl Franklin. And almost immediately the receptionist comes out and goes, there's too many people in this room. This is too crowded. You two go in, go in that room. <laughs> and the two of us went in another room by ourselves and just sat in another room. And he was I don't like, know what you have to talk about. Maybe a future film project. I, I don't mean, know. It was <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. And, you know, we talked about everything else. Family. How are you? Have you been? Da, 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 da. And he kind of mentioned offhand, you, you know, I'm directing this movie, Devil in Blue Dress. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. I've heard of it. He's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And the next day my agent called and said, Carl, he wants to see you. I don't know what happened. I was like, I can tell you what happened. It doesn't make sense. But, and then, yeah, I went in and got to read with Denzel and Denzel was the one telling him, Hey man, put this dude in the movie. That's the guy. Yeah. Uh, in a much different note, what's the first thing you think of when I say volcano? Um, other than lava <laughs> and, and, and Oscar snub, uh, <laughs> suck on it. Dante's peak. <laughs> yeah. Suck on it. Dante's peak. I think that too. Uh, uh, no, I, I that was th that, that year I did, Five movies. Or so you're off like picket fences by this point. You've yeah, left picket yeah. fences and you're striking while the iron's hot. There's just a lot of opportunity. Yeah, and these things just kept popping up. And I think I did five movies. I think I did Rosewood that year. I oh, think sure. I did um, Boogie Nights that same year. So let's talk. Okay, Bo Boogie Nights. I mean, obviously a, a brilliant piece of work. And I and I, who else did I talk to about this recently? I was talking with the Wahlberg about Boogie Nights because I'm fascinated by well, a number of things. Like the stories are that like Burt Reynolds like and was not into the PTA thing, did not trust what Paul uh -uh. Thomas Anderson was doing. No. You had a sense of that on set? It was pretty I, obvious. I didn't see that riff a lot, but that rift rather a lot, but I, I, I know that I knew that it was there, <laughs> you know, and I would, you know, I know that Paul was like, oh my God, this guy, man, what do I got to do to get this guy to just trust me? Yeah. I didn't trust Paul. In I was going to say, did you, because I mean, like in retrospect, I love like Heart Eight, Sydney, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. But like, I don't know if at the time I would have like had, having just seen that, like, oh, this guy's going straight to the top or no, not. I don't no. know. And Carl Franklin is the one who told me I needed to meet him. And uh, I met him and he's, I don't know if you've ever met PTA, sure. but he's like a wi live yeah. wire. Yeah. And I was like, this dude? And he's like, we're going to do this movie, man. It's porn. It's going to be cool. I was like, uh, porn? I don't know, man. My parents are alive. I'm not sure that I can even be in this film. Um, but then he, and, I, and the, then the script that I, that he wrote was 166 pages long or something. And it was, very technical with, you know, speed ramps and whip pans and different, you know, angles that he was going to use. It was a really technical script and it was hard for me to understand what was even happening and cutting between all those different stories. It just seemed like a mess on paper. Yeah. And I didn't realize until I got to know him that there was a huge brain up there that, you know, that can sort all that craziness out. That knew exactly what he wanted. And that was so specific and so, you know, 
clear thinking about what was happening. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I just surrendered. Yeah. And talk, talk about like a next level. I mean, you look at that in Magnolia and there'll be what it's like, that's just, that's six dimensional chess. It's just like, what, what is he doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's one person. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of filmmakers I'm fascinated by, uh, Warren Beatty. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't direct enough. I guess he directed something that's in the can now that we're eventually going to see. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did. I didn't know he shot like a Howard Hughes kind of movie uh, uh. that he's been developing for years. Um, but you were in Bullworth. Yeah. What was your experience with Warren like? That was a year, actually, of shooting Bullworth. This is what I'm saying. This guy... It was, um, you know, it, they, and Warren was famously uh, not forthcoming <laughs> with uh, the studio about what, it was, what he was doing. I was friends with one of the executives there at that time who used to call me up and say, can you tell me what's going on <laughs> on the set, please? Because <laughs> whenever they would show up, he would just stop working. You know, and wow. they'd stand around, and he'd stand around Power and chat him up, and they'd go, oh, so what are you working on? Oh, we're just doing this little scene right now, so what, are you guys going to do any time? No, we're on a break right now. Wow. So he would just stand there and wait until they left. <laughs> He's like, you don't get to stand here and watch me shoot. And that deal was sort of the poison pill that had been left with the last studio head, I think, to, to, to Peter. And the Warren Beatty clause. He's that, just the, yeah. yeah, all he had to send them was a three- or four-page treatment, and it had to be greenlit. So they had to make it, and it took about a year to make. (laughs) But Warren was one of the early champions uh, for me directing, actually. You know, he would always harp on that and say, Don, you have to direct. You have to direct. And I'd say, I'm not ready to direct. Because I wasn't ready to direct when I directed Reds. You're not ready. You never are ready. But do it. And you stumble your way through and put good people around you, and they'll pick you up. But yeah. You're not ready. You're not. You're. You're right. You're not ready. So go get your next. Go get one right <laughs> Just now. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one who maybe isn't like mo- the warmest and cuddliest guy, but uh, one of my favorite filmmakers is uh, Brian De Palma. Oof. He's tough. He's a tough <laughs> one. Okay, you don't sanitize as much as you need to. But what was the? Uh, it was rough. I yeah. mean, <laughs> Brian said during the making of, uh, and I don't know if he was joking at the time, and I'm still not sure today. <laughs> But when we were doing uh, Mission to Mars, he said, yeah, I want to make a movie that's so expensive and so bad that it actually brings down a studio. I was like, this, this one? The one we're on? <laughs> can you try that on like, the next one? <laughs> can you not do that right now? You're Especially a little, not you're a little right crazy. Before my <laughs> is that, what, is that a note that I'm, how much, is that like some Japanese koan that I'm supposed to interpret and somehow deepen my experience of being stranded on Mars? I don't know what, why you would say that He out says loud. that it just walks away, walks yeah, away. Exactly. No, we all laughed and he just looked at us like, oh, that's funny to you? We're like, oh, no. He was in a weird place. He was in an interesting yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> I do not know. Um. The, I mean, you were a producer on Crash, obviously a labor, uh, another labor of love, and something in her best picture. And you know as well as I do, it has like there's also the baggage around it too. I mean, do you take that? Does that get under your skin? You're like, what else do you need from us? You know, you win best picture, you get all these accolades, and then you still have to defend it years later to some. I, I don't think you ever have to defend it. Yeah, you know, I, I think that. You know, I read some great quote that I, Anthony Hopkins said about that I'll mangle right now. But basically, the, the substance of it was, look, I do what I do. I am what I am. I, I, I put that out there and that I don't have to defend it and I don't have to make excuses for it or justify it. It's just it is what it is. And if and, and if you love it and or hate it, I, I, 
I am actually, uh, both of those are good with me. Right, <laughs> you know? right. It's like, it's not my, that's not on me to, to once you create something, then somehow try to micromanage people's reaction. You've done your job. You're it. not, yeah, yeah. You know, I think people hating it is appropriate. And I think people loving it is equally as appropriate. I mean, do you understand it and why it, it's remained kind of a, like, it was a lightning rod then, it's a lightning rod now. It's like one of those things you can just start an argument about in any, yeah, in any yeah, film yeah. geek group. Well, I think a, a lot of things, I think a lot of people... Uh, uh, first of all, di in, in, took it literally. Something that I always, you know, looked at as as a fable as much as you know something that should be taken literally. Sure. Um, of course, all of these interactions and intersections between these human beings is probably not going to happen. Is in a profound way as the movie's trying to set up. It's not trying to say that, in right. my opinion. It's saying it's trying to to expose something and it's trying to bring something up yeah. and then have that debate about it, go into a room and have people argue about it, which is how the thing came to be in the first place. You know, was Paul being a part of a, a, a group at a, at a school, Paul Haggis, the director, writer, director. And um, there was some, a kid was expelled for doing something. A, little, a young black kid was expelled and the white kid that was involved in the same thing was not expelled. Right. And, the black parents are really upset, and Paul, being his Canadian subversive communist outsider self, was like, well, we should all get in a room and talk about it, you know, and being a writer and wanted to talk about it. And everybody said, yeah, we should. And he said, and they showed up. He showed up the next day for the meeting, and he's like, oh, he and one other person showed up. Like, nobody really wanted to talk about right, it. Right, right. You know, so he's like, well, this is the kind of stuff I want to talk about and have, and have it be incendiary and have people debate it, you know, because... There are no easy answers for it, and one 90-minute movie isn't going to, you know, address it all. I, I'm curious, as we uh, careen toward, towards the end here, uh, you know, coming out of this labor of love, um, miles ahead, is there anything else that you've spent as much time over the years thinking about? Is there something else that's like... Other than my family? <laughs> it's, basically, it's basically family, Miles Davis. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know. Are you a sports yeah. fan? I don't know what, that, what yeah, else is in there. Like, then the Broncos winning. <laughs> Those are the three things that have taken up all that time in my brain. So what do you fill it up with now? Now that Miles is expunged. Well, I'm still out here hustling. <laughs> You've got like a week, like, though, to go. Six weeks, cat. I'm on this train. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, can't, yeah, I, had, I had a nerve. It's, it's, <laughs> um... But no, it, um, I, I don't, you know, there, there are some things that are, that have come up. Look, this wasn't something that was on a bucket list that I had to check off. I wasn't trying to. And you were looking for someone else to direct at one point, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I was looking for the whole thing to go away at some point, <laughs> to be honest, you know. Um, but, but I have been very fortunate, very lucky, blessed, all of those words, to have the projects that I'm interested in and things that I want to do um, come to fruition either by just perseverance and hard work or, or, you know, grace, luck, all of those things. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, the House of Lies was another one that wasn't anything I was out there lobbying for. That was an incoming call. And it's a, something that's been a big part of my life that I've loved and had a great time doing. Um, so if I, I just kind of stay open and, and things are kind of coming, yes, I'm writing more now and I'm yeah. developing no, more now and, there's things out there that I'm trying to put together, just like I try to do with this one. But uh, I hope they don't take ten years. 
And, uh, yeah, I hope I'm at 61 going, you finally got that one made. <laughs> Let me tell you about watching the assembly cut of this one. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you'll be relieved to know that I, I did uh, pick the brain of our mutual friend, Ben Schwartz, to try to get some dirt that could fuck with your brain. And he had nothing but uh, disgustingly nice things to say. And just yeah. like, it was just all, I don't know what he ha- what you have on him. I don't you know want what, something on him? Please. Um, okay. I don't know if a lot of people know this. Okay. He's, I don't, I don't know. He smells I, what? He has an odor problem? No, he's got like a 19-inch penis. <laughs> and he shows it a lot. I mean, I understand it. If I had a 19-inch penis, I'd show it a lot, too. Right. I've, I've watched his work. And it's and- telescopic, <laughs> which is a rare feature. How does, that, how does that even work? What does that well, mean? Well, he can adjust it, which is amazing. Oh, at will. Just like, it doesn't yep. need to be stimulated. Yeah. It's just sort of... Eight. <laughs> There are eight. What do you need? What do you, what do you need? Blot, boom. Where do you want it? He's a porn star director's dream. He is, but it looks really weird. <laughs> it's pointed, and that's a strange shape. Triangle is a strange shape for a penis. Uh, let that image haunt um, <laughs> listeners' minds until they go see Miles Ahead, and then they can swap out the horrible image of Ben Schwartz's 19-inch penis. <laughs> With the wonderful images that you put on screen here, congratulations! Honestly, it's I, it's always a feat to get get something like this on the screen, and you did a great job. And obviously, the acting you and you and are uh, wonderful. And um, hopefully, you get some rest soon, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate good, it. Good to see you. All right. Hi guys, Danielle Schneider here. Eileen, you've done it again. <laughs> As you know, Casey Wilson and I are obsessed with all the Real Housewives. Eileen would be the cheapest, best date <laughs> because you could give her Claire's and she would think it's Cartier. <laughs> so that's why we started Bitch Sesh, a Real Housewives breakdown show. And we've got some really exciting news. Starting this week, we're going to cover the brand new season of... Real Housewives of New York City. Yes. Is Erica here tonight? Maybe she is, bitches. So look for new episodes every Thursday morning. Bitch Sesh is coming to the Big Apple. Only on Earwolf. On this podcast, I'll admit you come off like a little nasty. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.